Well, good evening. And I say a hearty amen to the fact I get to address some real live people. <laughs> I, left, uh, I left home right at six weeks ago, and the last church I preached at that had people in the pews was in Jerome, Idaho, uh, like five weeks ago. <laughs> and so this is like, wow. <laughs> I could just say, man, I'm thrilled, you know, I'm, this is good. So thank you for being here, and thank you for being on the cutting edge, brother. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I've been telling preachers everywhere I've been, I've, of course, been preaching into a camera or a handful, maybe 10 people at the most. And, but I've said, you know, in the midst of all this, and I know you're live streaming as well, I'm anxious to see, I was telling your pastor earlier, I said, I'm anxious to see in about three or four months what God's going to do with this. Because I know Satan means it for evil, but we have a great God who can use it for good. And, uh, and the Word of God doesn't return void. I, when I was in Vancouver, Washington, uh, Brother Ron Reasoner, the whole reason I was on this trip to begin with, uh, we supported him in Russia for many years. and. He had some physical reasons for which he had to come home from the field. But he started, there's quite a Russian community in the Portland, Oregon area there. And uh, so he started a church in that area, and they're running about 15. And at that time, when I was first with him, you could still have as many as 50. Of course, he didn't have that many. So they were having normal services as well as uh, live streaming. And uh, he could monitor, as I know some can. I'm, I'm not into this technology thing, but... He could monitor how many had tapped in was watching, and it was like 62 had watched the services, and over 300 had passed by, you know. And so he was saying, man, I, I couldn't buy that kind of exposure, you know. <laughs> and so he was excited about the prospects of it, and I, and I think that's just an example of what I think God's going to do with it. And so it'll be interesting to see, although I'm glad for the opportunity to meet together with God's people. And I think God's always intended for that to be the case. And I'm hoping God will use it kind of in this way. It's the old little adage you've heard, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And maybe some folks who've taken for granted the opportunity to meet, then not having that opportunity will maybe realize we better seize the opportunity and take advantage of the blessing it is. <clears throat> and I was... Uh, I'm glad to be with the Petrachos. I was having dinner with them tonight, and we were talking about some of this. And I said, yeah, my wife told me. I, I've been away from her for six weeks. And we've never been, uh, since being married 46 years ago, never been apart that long. And so I am looking. I'm glad to be here tonight, but I'm looking forward to getting home. And, uh, but she was telling me, because I'd been out. She was worried because I was going to Washington. When I was going out there, that was the hot spot at the time. And so she was a little anxious about me going there, you know. So I was telling her, I'm really looking forward to being home. She said, well, now, honey, when you get home, you got to spend 14 days in the basement. <laughs> I said, dream on, woman. That ain't happening. <laughs> so, so then I called her a couple of days later, and I said, I'm having a hard time breathing. <laughs> but she, did, <laughs> she didn't think that was very funny either, so... <laughs> So thank God for a sense of humor, amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we've got to keep, keep that, praise the Lord. But, uh, but I want to thank Brother Brooks for, again, the privilege to be with you again. I, I so enjoyed the last time I was here, and uh, so honored. I, this didn't, wasn't on the 
on the uh, schedule, on the itinerary. Uh, I was supposed to be, the uh, last place I was with my brother, he pastors in Kalispell, Montana. And he was going to have a revival start on Easter Sunday, and then we were going to go through Wednesday. And so I wasn't supposed to be coming through here till uh, Thursday or Friday. But uh, we had the Easter services with 10 people and a, a camera. Uh, so then I left there Tuesday and came this direction. So I'm glad to be able to be with you. Uh, God makes no mistakes, so I don't believe I'm here by mistake. Uh, I can dream on, but I'm believing that, all right? And I, I trust you're looking forward to uh, hearing from the Word of God tonight. Before we do that, let's bow for a word of prayer, okay? <clears throat> Father, I do thank you for the privilege of being here with Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. I thank you for their testimony and, um, Lord, for their place. What a difference they've made you know, worldwide. And so I'm thankful to be able to be here, and I just pray that, Lord, you'd just for this very moment, Lord, take me into your hand. And I would simply be an instrument through which you would work and you would speak. Lord, speak through me as well as to me, I pray. And Lord, that each of us here tonight, I know there's many things going on in the world and certainly all this current matter that we're dealing with. and The cares of this world, I know, can take us away from our attention to you. And I pray it would not be so tonight, but rather, Lord, that you still our hearts and minds and help, help us, Lord, to focus upon your word with the attitude, Lord, uh, speak, thy servant, hear it. I pray that would be our spirit as we go into the services here tonight. And I certainly, again, pray, Lord, that you'd help me to be a blessing that I certainly want to be, and that all of it, through all of it, you and you alone would get the honor and the glory. And so do your work now. We commit the service to you. Thank you that we can. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have your Bibles turn to Matthew chapter 8. And... Uh, while you're turning there, let me um, ask you a, a little question. Have you ever, like maybe some of the things we're going through now, you know, you go through kind of a hard time, a little time of testing, and a little difficulty, and, um, you know, somebody, um, you know, you're just kind of a little tired or weary, some things you've been facing, difficulties you're going through, and then somebody sends you a card, you know, drops you a little note says, I just want you to know you're, you're a blessing to me. And maybe on top of that, they stick in a little gift card. You know? <laughs> I mean, something that just, just kind of picks you up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <clears throat> maybe they <laughs> say give you the day off. Everybody's off now. But uh, whatever it might be, you know, that someone just, you've been a blessing to them. And so they turn around, and when you're going through a time, you just kind of need a little shot in the arm, as they say. And they kind of bless you with something that they've done. Well, such an occasion happens here to no one less than the Lord Jesus himself. And so if you're able, if you can stand in honor of God's word here in Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> uh, such a thing happened to our Lord when he just got uh, encouraged. Okay, <clears throat> Look at, uh, well, begin at verse number 5. Okay, Verse number 5 of Matthew 8. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. 
For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All the Gentile, God's people said, Amen. Verse, verse 12, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I say uh, this is an occasion in which the Lord Jesus has been through really a time of you could say trial, but a, but, a, but a time of physical exhaustion. He's just begun his ministry. In fact, if you want to turn back uh, a page or two, turn back to chapter 3, and we're not going to read every passage here, but in chapter 3 is where he begins his earthly ministry, and uh, of course Matthew's account of it. Um, you get to chapter 4, and he's gone through the time of testing where he's taken out into the wilderness, you recall, and Satan tempts him there. And uh, let me just throw in for free. Uh, some have said, you know, Jesus was God, so he really couldn't be tempted. He couldn't have sinned. Excuse me. He was a little lower than the angels. He put himself in a place. He's 100% God, but he's 100% man. Okay? And he has the man condition. The Bible tells us he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And if he couldn't have sinned, Satan wouldn't have wasted his time. But he had a condition in which he had the Lord Jesus in a weak condition, in a, in a vulnerable condition, and so he tries to tempt him to turn and worship him. Thank God he passed the test. I said, thank God he passed the test. We wouldn't have a Savior. We didn't have a Savior. We'd have no hope. But praise God, he passed the test as the Lamb of God. You know, those lambs, those sacrificial lambs were set aside and put through a time of testing to prove their worth to serve as an example of the Lamb of God. And so here in the same way, he's tempted there in chapter 4. You get to chapter, the latter part of chapter 4, he of course chooses his workforce. That's when he calls out his disciples and uh, the 12 there. And then in chapter 4... Look at the last part of chapter 4 in verse 23 is the record of his very busy earthly ministry. It says in verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. So get the sense, you getting it? Jesus is involved in a very testing, trying time, uh, taking a, a, you know, somewhat of a, 
uh, a toll, if you will, on him physically speaking. And then you go into chapters 5 through 7. You, of course, you know that is the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he spends that time there. And so my point is he's, he's been giving and giving and giving and ministering and doing all these things. And, and then you come to chapter 8, and he's coming down uh, from the mount there, and he's returning to Capernaum, with the city out of which he's kind of using as his headquarters, so to speak. And then this, this centurion, and I, I love the fact he's a Gentile, comes to the Lord. And if, and if you read, and, I don't, and again, we have the black and white page, so to speak, and you can't, you can't get the, the tone or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, the, uh, the manner in which he says something. But, but I, think, I think if you look at verse 7, knowing what's gone on here to this point, you can kind of get the sense of how he must have responded uh, to the, the centurion uh, when he asked him to come and heal his servant, Jesus said in him, verse 7, and I think he said it something like this, I, I will come and heal him. <laughs> because he's just been through all this, and he's going back home for a little break, if you will, and this man meets him on his way there. <clears throat> now, when he then responds, after he says he will come, he says in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And then he goes on and says all these things that we'll come back to here in a minute. And Jesus, again, I kind of, I like to imagine, I don't know about you, but I like to try to picture in my mind the circumstance as the word records some instance or some event that's, that's recorded. And I kind of get the picture of the Lord just kind of stopping and looking at the guy. And he turns around to his disciples that are following, and he says, I haven't found such faith, such great faith. No, no, not in Israel. I think it's kind of indictment, if you will, of these guys. And, and so I've, I've titled the message this, The Time When Jesus Was Dumbfounded. Now, that almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? Because someone has said, maybe you've heard it said, have you ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? You know? Well, but in this instance, again, the Lord Jesus in the human sense, he's looking at him. And he marvels. The Bible says he marvels at him. Now, the word marvel means to be filled with wonder or astonishment. So, again, Jesus is looking at him. I, can't hardly, I can hardly believe what I just heard from this Gentile man. And so he turns to his disciples again. I haven't found such great faith. No, not in Israel. And so, as he marvels, again, the word marvel, astonished, it would be like us. We, we would hear such a thing in, in the same context, if you will, something that was so marvelous or so amazing. We would say something like that. Wow. <laughs> you know, Whoa. That's amazing. Or, or probably teenagers would say something like, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it was that. You know, the Lord was just looking at him like, I can't believe it. I can hardly believe what I've heard this man say. And so again, maybe not use the word dumbfounded, let's just say impressed. Jesus was greatly, come on, you with me? He was greatly impressed with what this man said. So I would say most pleasantly surprised, put it in that context, with what he heard this Gentile centurion say. Now let me just interject, first of all, before, before we go on. 
This is Leidic commentary. This isn't what the scripture says, but this is my, my opinion, as humble as I can give it, but I think it's right, okay? <laughs> I, think the guy, I think the guy is already saved, okay? and we're going to see some evidence of that here in a minute. But, but I'm of the opinion he may well have been led to the Lord by his servant that he was concerned for. Okay? Could well have been a Jewish child of God that had led him to the Lord. Let me say, by the way, again, I'll throw this in for free. The gospel's always been the word of God, God's will and God's plan for man has always been open to whosoever will. It's still open to whosoever will. I'm not going to chase that rabbit, but let me suffice it to say there's a damnable heresy called Calvinism. It says there's a select group that's already chosen to be saved, and it doesn't matter if you want to be or not, you're going to be saved. Or those that have been condemned, it doesn't matter, you're going to be condemned. That's not found in the Word of God. Okay? That's a damnable heresy. I've said many times, any doctrine that takes a man's name is suspect at best. <laughs> Calvinism. Okay, anyway. All that to say, I believe the man's a saved man, and I'm of the opinion he was probably led to the Lord by his own servant. And he has a, a real heart for this man, a desire uh, that the Lord would heal him of this ailment, of this sickness. Now, go back to Jesus' amazement at him. Okay? And here's the things that kind of came to my mind that I'd kind of point out. First of all, I believe he said, I haven't seen such great faith, no, not in Israel, because, first of all, he had the right faith. Remember now, this is a Gentile. This is a Roman centurion. And he has the right faith. Look again at verse number 6. He's saying, Lord. <laughs> if you went to the Old Testament, the word Lord is always all caps, by the way. Which is speaking, speaking of deity. Okay? It's about the Godship of the Lord himself. So he has the right faith. He recognizes who Jesus is. Amen. I think he already recognized it because he's trusted him as his Savior. But here he's making it public in the statement that he makes. He had the right faith. Look again at verse number 6. He said, Lord, my servant lieth home, uh, at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. All right, he has the right faith. He's theologically correct, Right? Theologically correct. He recognizes again who Jesus is. He's not, it's not Caesar's Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay? And so he has this right understanding of who Jesus is. He knew where to find him. <laughs> That's interesting too. Uh, if you go back Luke's account of the birth of Christ in chapter 2, it goes on to when Jesus was 12 years of age. Remember that? And they're on their way to Jerusalem and back for a pilgrimage on a holy day, Joseph and Mary and their family. And remember the story? Are you, are you with me? Yeah, and uh, of course back then they, they travel as, sometimes as tribes, but certainly as family, and there were many in the family. And so on their way back, and I don't know, like cousins maybe or brothers and sisters would do, they mix together and Joseph and Mary aren't paying attention maybe where Jesus is, and all of a sudden they're getting home and close to home, and where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was with you. What? <laughs> so, remember, they rush back to Jerusalem, and they spend, what, a couple days looking for him, and somebody must have said to him, well, I think I saw a young man in the temple, and so they go, remember the story? It's, and it, it's a great story, and Mary and Joseph kind of 
give the Lord Jesus a hard time like parents are wont to do, right? Where have you been? <laughs> and they go on and say, you know, you scared us half to death here. We couldn't find you. And I mean, they're kind of giving him down the road. And then he makes this statement. <laughs> How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Well, duh. <laughs> Come on, Joseph and Mary, if anybody ought to have a little insight here, they know he's not Joseph's son. Come on. And if there ought to be somewhere they're going to look for him, the first place they ought to have been looking is be in the temple, I think. Yeah, right? Well, here we have this Roman centurion. He knows where to find him. <laughs> he's about the father's business. Yes, sirree. So again, theologically correct. He knew how to approach him. Look again at verse number 5. And when Jesus was entering the Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Yeah. Come on, we are nothing. He has need of nothing. We have need of everything. We certainly have need of him. Amen. Beseeching him. That is, again, appealing to him. Petitioning him in a place of need. He knows my servant. I can't help my servant. But I know somebody that can and so he comes beseeching, knowing the one that he needs to approach to meet the need. So again, here in chapter 7, we have the great promise that Jesus gave in that Sermon on the Mount when he said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Someone's put it this way. Request, that's ask. Persist, that's seek. Insist, that's knock. And really, he's here. Insisting, Lord, I need you to come and heal my servant. Isaiah 45, 11 says, Thus saith the Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. <laughs> come on, sometimes we need to come boldly into the Lord's presence. He's, he's challenged us to. Okay? We have a need? Come on, he can meet the need. You have not because you ask not. Sometimes you have not because you knock not. <laughs> and again, command the Lord in that sense to meet the need dependent upon him. And the centurion knew that. Theologically correct. Practically correct. You know, you can be theologically correct and go to hell. You've heard the thing about the 18-inch thing. <laughs> you can have it all up here and never have it here. Come on. Two things involved in the plan of salvation. Confess with thy mouth. Yeah, that's giving mental assent to. But believe in thine heart. Okay. And again, you, you can take a lot of the major religions. I'm talking about major Christian religions in our country. Uh, they've got the deity of Jesus Christ right. They've got the inspiration of scripture right. They've got the virgin birth right. They've got the blood atonement right. Come on. But there's a difference between a mental ascent and the application of the truth in your own life. And you can go back to the Old Testament and have a great picture of that in the Passover. <laughs> Jesus, or, or the Lord gave the command th through Moses to the people of Israel. He said, listen, you're going to take the blood of that lamb in that Passover meal and you're going to apply the blood to the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes by, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over you. Come on, you could have had it all right. You could have heard everything that Moses said, had it all theologically correct. But if you didn't apply the blood, brother, you lost out. So again, it's the application of the truth. <clears throat> 
And this centurion had it practically right. A faith in Christ, obviously, in verse number 8, where he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Thou shouldst come under my roof. None of us are worthy. But then a faith in Christ's ability when he says, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Some things are impossible with man, but nothing's impossible with God. (laughs) And again, his faith in the practical application of the theology that he had so correct. He had the right faith. Number two, he had the right love. Look again at verse number six, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. First of all, Jesus he loved. Again, he called him on the second occasion here, Lord. Lord is a recognition of his place, but it's also used in the sense of an affection. He is the Lord of our lives. Come on, he can be our Savior, not be our Lord. Right? Lordship has to do with submission, <laughs> has to do with, again, emptiness of self and fullness of God. And so a yieldingness to the place of God. Come on, he wants to be the Lord of our life. You've heard it said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And God intends to be, wants to be the Lord of our life. And certainly in the, in, out of the very mouth of this centurion, Jesus look at him, this is amazing. <laughs> because the Lord he loved. Okay? <clears throat> not Rome. Come on now, remember who he is. He's a Roman centurion. Remember at Jesus' Passion Week? What a sad indictment for the people of Israel that just a week before had been proclaiming him Messiah laying palms in the path of him as he entered into Jerusalem, the same crowd now that's saying, we have no king but Caesar. (laughs) Not so with this centurion. Jesus is Lord, (laughs) not Caesar. Certainly a a love for the Lord's work. Again, he says in verse number 8, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Lord, you've got many things to do. Lord, I'm not going to take the time that you need for what you're here for to come to my house. You don't need to come. You can just speak the word where you are, and it'll take care of it. Aren't you glad to be able to assemble together? I tell you, I can't tell you how glad I am to get to preach to people tonight. And I got to tell you, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was deacon. My mom was church secretary. And he used to say, man, when the doors squeaked, we were there. You know, whatever it was. And I thank God for that. And I, I, I got to tell you my own personal testimony. I cannot understand. I, and I know, I, I know. Peter said, if you think you stand, beware lest you fall. I know, be sober, be vigilant. I'm not saying I can't sin. I'm not saying I can't fail. God knows that I know I can But there are some things, i got to tell you, I cannot understand how a child of God would not, could not be involved in. And one is church. (laughs) There was a time in my life when I I wasn't right with the Lord, and I knew God had called me to preach. I knew I was going to, one day, by His mercy and grace, I I had a desire to plant a church. I knew all that. But I needed to get my head screwed on straight, and I needed to grow up. so, So I wasn't where I needed to be and should be. But I'll tell you what. I was still in church. I was even tithing. Amen. Because everything, the Lydics do, this is who we are. You know what I'm talking about? This is what we do. 
Hey, come on, as a child of God, there ought to be things we don't have to think about it. This is who we are. This is what we do. And I'll tell you what, involved in God's work, that's what we do. Come on, if Jesus, if the Lord just saved you to take you to heaven, the minute you said, Lord, come into my heart and be my Savior, he'd knock you in the head and you'd be out of here. That's sitting around here just to suck in air and take up space. Come on, God's got a purpose for you. Follow me, he said. Come on, go ye. Come on, there's a whole book full of things we're supposed to be engaged and involved in. Don't tell me you love God and you're not about serving him. I don't understand. I I just don't understand it. (laughs) Jesus he loved. God's work he loved. Others he loved. Look again in verse number 6. Lord, my servant, lie at the home sick of the palsy. Again, I like God's people being together. God intended one of the one of the sidebar blessings of being a church member is the relationship we have as fellow believers and encouraging one another. We need come on, we need one another. We do need <laughs> churches that right now aren't enjoying what you're enjoying here tonight. I'm telling you, I was just with my brother and they're not meeting together, and I could I, I would hear it from him and from people there. He had different ones come, different services, you know, and. That's almost the first thing out of their mouth. Man, I'm so glad to be here. I just miss this time together. And he's set up things where they can talk together, you know, on these party line kind of a thing, the computer. Because they, they miss it. Hey, they ought to miss it. It's, it's one of the blessings of, of laboring together and being co-laborers together with the Lord. What a blessing it is. And we do need one another. <laughs> so again... <clears throat> No concern for himself, concern for his servant that was in need here. And wanted help for him, didn't want to criticize him. I like that too. He was down, he wasn't kicking him while he's down. He had a heart for his need. And again, what, what, a, what a great testimony. He had the right love. Okay, he had the right faith, he had the right love. And here's where I wanted to get in this whole thing. And this is a thing for which I think Jesus is looking at him like, whoa. <laughs> and I call it this, he had the right program. He had the right program. Now, you got to keep in mind, this is Matthew chapter 8. You with me? Keep that in mind. This is Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has just begun his earthly ministry. He's just not too long uh, back. He's called these 12 men, and he's beginning to teach them and train them. And we know, I won't go, the, I won't go into all that, but we know <laughs> three and a half years, and they, they didn't learn a whole lot. They weren't paying much attention. But already he started to teach him. He started to try to help him to know what's going on. And here's this Gentile centurion that comes along, makes this statement. Jesus is going, whoa, <laughs> this guy's incredible. He is way ahead of everybody else. Look at what he says. <clears throat> he says, Lord, basically, he's saying, don't take the time to come to my place because I can appreciate what you're trying to do. That's the Lydic translation. Okay? But basically, that's what he's saying, okay? Lord, no, 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 no. Don't, don't take the time to come to my house. You don't, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And then he makes this statement. Look at verse number, verse number 9. <clears throat> For I am a man under authority. That's, an, that's a biblical term. That's a biblical principle. I thought I'd hear an amen or two. Come on, in the home? First institution the Lord established? Authority, yeah. Teenagers, <laughs> you're learning it. You should, God help you. You're supposed to learn it in the home. Authority. Come on, Dad. 
you're supposed to stand in the Lord's place as the authority in your home. Okay, I'll let you have your family camp another time in the, in the year, but come on, you know the principle, right? And then he established government. And sometimes we struggle with that part of the authority because we have those that abuse the authority. I understand that, but still, come on, we're talking about as God intended it, authority's good. And then you go to the church. Come on. Same principle involved. And a lot of churches are in a mess today because they've got a messed up system of authority. Okay. But this centurion says, Lord, I'm a man of authority. I have men under me. I understand, I understand what you're doing. <laughs> well, now again, you have to go all the way to Matthew 28. Remember now, we're in Matthew 8. You have to go all the way to Matthew 28. You're familiar with Matthew 28? It's a missionary church. I know you are. That last little bit of Matthew 28. Okay. All power, Jesus said, all authority is given me. Go ye. He said in John chapter 20, as my father has sent me, so send I you. Come on. We need to step up in our place as a disciple. We have the authority of God himself in the responsibilities we have to carry out the gospel to a lost and dying world. So again, he says, Lord, I understand. I'm a man of authority. I have men under me. I know what you're about. I know how you're working. And so, Father, Lord, don't, don't worry about coming to my house. You just say the word. Jesus looking at him like this. Whoa. Incredible. Okay. Then he says, look again at verse number 9. <clears throat> and I say to this man, go, and he goeth. Okay, That's, again, Matthew 28. We're in Matthew 8. And he says to another, come, and he cometh. Okay, one of the things involved, when we go, what's our purpose in going? To bring people to the Lord, okay? To come. The great invitation, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not till Matthew 11. (laughs) We're in Matthew 8. Are you getting this? I mean, he's looking at this Roman centurion. This guy is way ahead of everybody else. He's very tuned in. He's very conscious of what I'm about. The Lord Jesus is very blessed by it. And then he says this in verse number 9. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. Well, again, we know the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. And then you go again to Matthew 28. That's in Matthew 26, by the way. Then in Matthew 28 the second part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. (laughs) Come on, that's what, talk about church, it's also a school, isn't it? It's where we grow, it's where we learn, it's where we apply the truth of the Word of God in our own lives, okay? So again, this is the, the teaching and the training part. Lord, you don't have to come to my house. I know what you're about. I'm a man of authority. I understand the thing of authority. I don't even understand you're setting up this program, and you're the head of it, and I understand all that. And I, talk, I understand about coming, and people need to come to you, and I understand the whole invitation of the gospel message. And then when they, once they come, then you're going to teach them. This is what you do, and this is what you don't do. Jesus is standing there looking at him like, whoa, <laughs> it's incredible. Well, how about us today? I take some pleasure in the fact this was a Gentile. <laughs> well, come on. Step up to our place. And I'm telling you, 
God help us not to disappoint the Lord like Israel disappointed them. It's time for us to step up to the understanding like one of our family of the flesh, if you will, this Gentile man did in that day. Do you understand who you are? Hello? Do you understand who he is? Do you understand what he's doing? Do you understand how the program works? Do <laughs> you know it's dependent upon us being involved? Do you understand that? What is it in? I think in is it Psalm 25, I can't remember the passage, where, where God calls Israel out and, and he, he really indicts them with a statement. He said, <clears throat> oh, as soon as it came to me, it left me. Where he says, uh, you've, oh yeah, you've limited the Holy One of Israel. You remember that statement in the Bible? Where he said, he said to Israel, you've limited the Holy One of Israel. Now how could anyone limit God? Well, I'll tell you how we limit him. Because his program is dependent upon human instrumentality. And when he can't find someone he can use, come on, there in Ezekiel, God sought for a man to make up the hedge and stand in the gap, and he found none. Come on, God forbid that in our day, when he has independent Baptist churches that are supposed to know what's going on as he looked to his disciples, this guy's got it. Where are you at? <laughs> Do you understand what you're supposed to be about? Do you understand the importance of it? Do you understand the part you have in it is essential? Then let's step up. What do you say? Instead of the Lord being disappointed, let's let him look at us and say, wow. Somebody that has insight, they know what's going on, and they're about the Father's business. God help us to be about it. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.